0: listening to Exactly With Me, Florence Given. I want to thank you so much for joining me and for all of your support so far. Making this podcast is such a joy and it means the world to know that it's all resonating with you. If you've listened before, you know that we're breaking up the first season into five topics. Sex, feminism, body image, relationships, and today we're continuing the mini-season on social media. My guest today is writer and commentator on the internet's woke culture. Her name is Ayesha Akambi and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. At the end of the episode, we'll be answering your questions that you've sent in via my Instagram stories. Thank you so much for sending them all in. In the fourth episode of this mini-series, remember, I want to hear from you. My guest and I will be answering your calls, texts, and your voice notes. So any questions or dilemmas that you have to do with social media or the internet, drop me a line on my podcast WhatsApp. The number is plus four four seven eight nine zero three zero two six six five. So, this mini season is all about social media. Most of you are probably here listening right now because you saw something on social media about the podcast, or maybe you followed me on social media and that's how you came to find it. I'm a massive advocate for just putting your shit out there, putting your artwork out there, and seeing what happens. If I never posted my drawings on Instagram, received feedback, and then continued creating them, I would not have this career. I would not have gone on to write a book, and I probably also wouldn't have this podcast. In this season, we'll be exploring our lives online from a number of different angles. But one person I knew I had to talk to on this subject, she actually might have been the first guest that I suggested to my podcast team that I actually wanted to interview. Uh, it's Aisha Akambi. Aisha has an incredible, razor sharp mind and her analysis of this really hectic, confusing online culture surrounding social justice or wokeness is just so fucking vital and refreshing. And what I love about what Aisha does is that she's not someone to bite her tongue when she sees something that's wrong, and I think that's what I find really inspiring about her. In this episode, I want to find out more from Aisha about what led her to not only holding these beliefs about cancer culture and wokeness, but actually expressing them online, which for a lot of us is the scariest thing to even imagine doing. I think it's extremely remarkable for someone to talk about these things so freely when it's becoming increasingly harder to voice any opinion that deviates from sounding like it's been copied and pasted from a politically correct article. Aisha calls for more empathy, more space, more complexity and more nuance and that is exactly why I started this podcast. I've become so frustrated with the limitations of having complex discussions on a platform such as Instagram that doesn't really reward complexity and actually rewards the reduction of big concepts to small attention-grabbing means or 140 character tweets. I really hope that this conversation liberates a lot of people from feeling like you can't say what you're thinking in a way that is still compassionate. I really just want to question and open up and unpack The way that we talk about politics and the way that we talk about identity politics today and how there are probably way more effective ways that we can be doing this that don't hurt one another. So Aisha, I'm going to be asking you my high five questions. I ask all of my guests them. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, fire away. What is one thing that sets your soul on fire? Music. If you could wear one outfit for the rest of your life, a look that would define you forever, what would that outfit be?
1: Oh my gosh, wow. You're a stylist, so... Probably some form of jumpsuit. Like okay, I, I'm quite into the jumpsuit and kind of workwear, so I think so. And yeah, I, I would do something like that, I imagine. Okay,
0: cool. What's something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you?
1: That I'm political.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, finish this sentence. I'm still a work in progress when it comes to... Love. Okay. When was the last time you majorly cringed at yourself?
1: I mean, that's fairly frequent. <laughs> um, You've spoke
0: you... a lot about cringing at yourself as actually being a good thing. Yeah, it you say is. Yeah. It is,
1: actually. So um, when was the last time I majorly cringed? I'm more. I'm <laughs> the kind of person who always says things to someone. And then after, I'm like, oh, my gosh, why did I say that? So okay. probably, some, probably at some point this week, I can't. Well, we're only on Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> um, yesterday at some point, definitely. I, okay, I can't sure. remember what it was.
0: Okay, I've been so excited to interview you. I found your work on the internet last year. A friend sent me your tweets. And as someone who was deeply entrenched in woke culture and the obsession with the binary of good or bad person, depending on, first of all, how angry you are on the internet. uh, And second of all, based on the popular opinion at the time, kind of moving with that, kind of like eroded my gut instinct because I was never really thinking for myself, but I thought I was because... The opinions were, quote unquote, the correct opinions. Um, reading your tweets felt illegal. It literally felt illegal. Uh, and I think that speaks to the problem about woke culture as it is currently, that even having thoughts is illegal. Um, can you talk about what you think the problem with wokeness is? You posted a video in 2018 talking about it. C- to mm. anyone who didn't see the video, can you talk about what you think the issue is?
1: Yeah, there's, there's many issues I, I think that I would see in that culture. Um, and in fact, you actually touched on something in a way. I think the main way that I can sum it up is I would say that People are being carted away from intuition into ideology. And so you said it when you mentioned like things that were in your instinct, things that were in your gut, I think we're, we're taught how to kind of disregard that, ignore that and go with the popular opinion. Um and I really think that, um, I really value the mind. I really value thinking. I really value being honest um, and trying to get to explore yourself and understand yourself. I only think you can confront a problem if you understand it. Okay. Um, but we're not being encouraged to understand things. We're being encouraged to kind of take a very binary understanding of the world that I see as very simplistic. I don't think it's a fight between good and evil. I think there's light and dark in all of us. And I think those who overlook that side of themselves are often prone to get trapped by that. Um, And so I think for me, I remember being around my friends. I have a lot of friends who maybe I identify as queer and maybe this is where I think I first started to notice something was not quite right. Where I would be saying things that were, at one point I thought fairly normal. I've never seen myself as a controversial person. So (laughs) it's it's funny when people say that reading my tweets can feel illegal, but it it certainly does speak to the problem. But I'd be just saying what I think and and all of a sudden my friends would be saying they're triggered. And, you know, at first I I didn't quite understand what that meant, you know. Um, (laughs) I really didn't. And then all of a sudden I I noticed lots of people around me were having the exact same opinion on things and even using the exact same words. Um, And I think if, you know, 10 people are saying the exact same thing, then, you know, 10 people aren't thinking. Some of the most profound change comes when you have the ability to be honest with yourself. And I do not believe that this culture that we have been seeped in for quite some time now truly allows that. I think it's more about hunting out the bad guy. And I, I just, I think in many ways, see many of the ways that we're trying to improve the world has made it harder to live in. Um, and so that's what I think makes me talk about it. You know, it was never from a political perspective. It was just like, I, I really feel that we are losing what's beautiful about being human.
0: Mm. So what you, what what you said then about if 10 people are thinking the same thing <laughs> thinking I thought that's fucking brilliant. Um and I actually have one of your tweets here where you said we're so suffocated by conformity that any opinion that is not a slight variation of a social justice slogan is interpreted as problematic instead of a person who hasn't crafted their worldview from memes, viral tweets and infographics. Mm. Would you say that's that summarizes what you're saying about yeah. 10 people saying the same thing they're not actually thinking for themselves but they but it's Sounds intellectual. Yes, right. And they're using the same words as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. That. And, and it's a product
1: of, of the internet generation. Like these days, we're encouraged to believe that to be a so-called good person isn't necessarily about how you behave, but what you think. And you know, and when we spend so much time online, the only way that I guess that we can show who we are is maybe by what we think, because people can't see our actions. Um, but more than anything, you know, I just I really want people to um to work harder to understand each other and themselves.
0: Yeah. So when you said you were confronted by all all of your friends saying that they were triggered by certain words, what was their reaction to you questioning that? Because I think we do find questions offensive, Hmm. but they're not. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, it is very cult-like in that if you can't question something or you will receive backlash for questioning it or punishment or isolation, it goes against what all humans crave, which is a sense of belonging. And that's like the most dehumanising thing. And I think you've set, you've pointed out the irony between a movement which constantly talks about mental health and protecting your mental health and all of this kind of stuff and then in an instant will also ostracise someone. Could you speak more about that?
1: Yeah, completely. I, I would say that I haven't actually experienced much direct backlash. So people being vocally opposed, at least maybe um, directly to me about what I say. But what I yeah. have noticed is, you know, people feeling as though I'm not sure if it's okay to speak to Aisha I don't know where she stands
0: I wasn't sure if I could interview you for this for my podcast exactly. because it's so uh, again quote unquote controversial right yeah and
1: that's because I don't seem to show people a clear position you know so is she on the mm. left is she a conservative? Wow, that's so true. You yeah. know, like, what is this? Is this some spiritual thing? <laughs> you know, people can't yeah. really work out what it is and people want to work out what you and are.
0: And who you are. Yeah, yeah and who yeah, you yeah. are. And,
1: and so it's funny, like, we're sort of in the age of being non-binary or where we've kind of recognised that, you know, we shouldn't have binary thinking, but we are the most binary, you know, types of thinkers yeah, at the moment. wow, yeah. Um, because you don't need to know what I am. It's got to this point where... What people perceive you believe is more important than how you treat them, Mm. you know, um, and and my treatment of everybody has I've always aimed at least to treat everybody the same in the same way that I would like to be treated, just the golden rule. Um, But that doesn't matter anymore. Um, And so, yeah, there's this real need to kind of put people in boxes. And if you can't put them in a box, well, then you're just. Yeah, Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily worthy of being spoken to a lot of the time. And it is very dehumanising. It is a very isolating time. I've known so many people to... Um, have lost friends, relationships even, friendships of years, uh, just over a difference yep. of opinion. And that's because we don't see it as a difference of opinion anymore. It's a difference in morality. Mm, you but, know? but
0: that's my experience too. Mm. And I think um, dating and friendships and relationships of, of any kind are becoming increasingly fragile with the internet and with wokeness and with having the right opinions and with cancel culture.
1: So what I think actually a lot of people who have kind of taking on the tenets of let's say woke culture what they actually do is encourage people to lie to their faces um and they do that because these people are often showing that they can't handle honesty you know um honesty is going to be taken because we're
0: triggered exactly okay so
1: not even just maybe because we're triggered because let's say anything that doesn't conform to uh, the approved narrative is some form of bigotry or some form Mm. of prejudice and things like that. Nobody wants to be labeled a a bigot or a racist or or whatever kind of phobic we have at the moment. And so rather than tell you my opinion and have you misunderstand me and want you to throw me under a bus, I'll tell you what you want to hear,
0: Mm. you know? And and that
1: is what a lot of people are doing, you know? And that's quite patronizing.
0: It is. It's
1: very infantilizing as well. I can't trust
0: you to handle your own (laughs) fucking emotions.
1: Exactly. It's quite infantilizing. So Mm. you teach people that the best thing to do is to almost treat you like a toddler. Mm. I often see like um, a lot of woke culture as like a a shelter from reality. Okay. And again, I think this is um, making us less able to handle, you know, life is tough, Mm. you know, Um, and we do need resilience. I think victimhood culture is prevalent because... The only ways these days that we feel justified to show anyone compassion is if they have some victim narrative. Yep. If you Mm -hmm. don't have that, then you're automatically privileged. And if you're privileged, well, then, of course, you don't deserve any kind Uh of decency.
0: I think to kind of get yourself out of that bubble of, um, like you said, the victimhood narrative, I actually started to ignore and dismiss the opinions of my dad, who's obviously a white guy because he's a white man. And this was right at the beginning of my kind of feminist journey. I was learning about violence against women and I was becoming really passionate and enraged. And I dismissed the opinions of my dad because he is a man. And actually what I missed is that he is so fucking wise. He is so resilient. He's probably the best guy I know in my life. And he has so much of value with his opinions and I would just kind of like dismiss anything he said and then like a couple of years later I'd be like he was fucking right about that and I think it, it's taken me being put in in that box for something that I'm not to extend that empathy and be like wow how have I made people feel like this before you you said you haven't experienced anything really like that um, but what got you into caring about people that this happens to because I feel like it is so unpopular to have that standpoint when you haven't been through something like that yourself because it takes a lot of empathy to look at someone that everyone is saying is about a person and extend your hand out and be like, let me help you. I think this is wrong. What's happening to you? Mm. I I want to know where that came from because it's really beautiful.
1: Thank you. That's really kind. And, you know, if I'm honest, it probably came from um, quite traumatic situations. You know, in 2012, uh, my brother died. You know, he was murdered. And I think the way that I tried to make sense of that he was murdered by a young man in that instance I think I I knew myself to be a different person I don't think I knew I had maybe what you're calling empathy at that time but it was either I tried to understand what is in the mindset of a young man you know who would go out just for things just for material things Mm. and kill someone and I was just really interested in in what This person was thinking about the culture that kind of condones this. I was thinking about status. Why do we want status? Why do we Mm. need these things? Why do we present ourselves in the way that we do? I started thinking about all of those types of things um, to try and gain some understandings, to try and gain some, you know, and also some peace, uh, because the alternative is me being potentially very angry and cold, maybe understandably so. But who does that serve? you know, it doesn't serve me, that I think in that moment, I recognize that traumatic and heartbreaking things are uh, written into the contract of life and are going to keep happening. And how am I going to deal with those things each time? Am I going to crumble? And so I think at that point, I just became someone, not necessarily consciously, but someone who was very interested in understanding my environment and the people around me and why we do what we do. I was very Mm. interested in why I do what I do. And so I'm not, someone who presents myself or identifies as a good person I'm a trying person if anything mm. and I can't berate people for what I see in myself I just try wow. to yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I can't you know all these things that you're saying about yeah. you know your dad you know and, and where that place that you were when you were angry at him and you were enraged mm. because he was a white I've been there mm. you know I I've been in many of the spaces or mindsets that i now am critical of that's why i'm more curious than i criticize um, and i try to not even judge i just try to
0: show people the Mm. behavior speaking of perpetual anger i've seen that you wrote a tweet about how perpetual anger is a sign no someone who isn't perpetually angry Mm is like a sign that they're privileged. When oh, yes. actually it could be someone who's pulled themselves up from rock bottom yeah. and just has a, a fuck ton of resilience. And that's what yeah. I, that's why I brought up your brother, right. is that you went through something horrendous and yet people might see your stance on politics today and be like, well, you're just so fucking privileged. You don't have to worry about it, Aisha. When actually it could be a sign that you've just, you've been through right. a lot and you've, and you've worked to build that responsive state as opposed to a reactive one.
1: You have to go through a lot of hard stuff to learn how to become soft.
0: Mm-hmm. you know and
1: I would say that's that a very I,
0: good way of saying yeah, that, yeah I would
1: say that I actually have um you know most people who who meet me and I I still think the way that I try to approach um a lot of ideas that would otherwise be seen as controversial um I have a soft way of approaching it because I don't necessarily kind of buy into the idea that you know having the right politics makes you a good person mm-hmm. I don't buy into the idea that um Being on the wrong side means that you, or having the incorrect opinion stops one from being potentially a loyal person, someone who's a good listener, someone who is dependable and all of these sorts of things. Um, I just can't buy into such a myopic and simplistic way of viewing the world. Um, I also don't buy into the notion that my identity um, inherently makes me an authority on anything or that your identity um, disqualifies you from understanding anything. I just can't see the world in that way. I've got friends and talked to all types of people and the way that the world is presented and the way that humans are presented online is very different to um, how I've got to know so many different people. And so I guess fundamentally, I just don't buy into it. And a lot of people, I think, don't buy into it. Um, and for me, I think when I realized, you know, I'd gone through this experience with my brother, which is probably one of the hardest things anyone can go through. And I thought, if I can go through this and I'm still here, why can't I hear someone out, you know, with an opinion that's really maybe a detestable? To me. If I'd gone through that and I was still here, I guess that taught me, you know, you could go through anything um, or at least withstand anything and, and really try to see where people are coming from. And I just think why people believe what they believe is a much more interesting question to me than. Well, I don't know, than trying to convince them to, to be otherwise. I think once you understand why and you understand people's ingredients, um, and I think the more that you interrogate yourself and the more that you explore yourself, it's it's, it's really hard to kind of come at people um, in yeah. this really combative way because you make yourself cringe because you're like, you're mm. lying, Aisha. You're yes. lying. You did this yeah, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. You did an hour ago.
0: Yeah, I, I wrote something um, on my Instagram a few years ago mm. that just said, stop cancelling people for things you just stop doing yourself. right? Um, and it was like, what I find absolutely baffling is that someone can think that they are a better person because they read an infographic a week before you did. Mm-hmm. And then they will like batter you with that piece of information. How are we now making people good or bad based on mm. what information that has literally just crossed yes. their path. I know. That's what's wild to me. Um, I've been called violent for mm. not posting wow. on a certain event this yeah. year. And then the, the next week it was another fucking event.
1: I think when it comes to people cancelling people uh, for things that they themselves didn't know a week ago, I think the problem is there. I think we're unable to forgive ourselves for what we hadn't known. Mm. you know. And when you can forgive yourself for what you hadn't known, because I remember even myself, I... At the time after the whole incident happened with my brother and I started thinking about the world and things around me a lot more intensely, I felt so guilty for how much time I believed I'd wasted as a young person. Just clearly just being a young person, doing everything you Mm -hmm. should do. Mm -hmm. But I felt so um, guilty for being seemingly ignorant and and unaware and, and selfish. And I really couldn't forgive myself for that a long for a long time. And I went in the complete other direction and you start to overcompensate. Yeah. And so that's what I think yeah. uh, what a lot of people are in the state of, of overcompensating for things wow, that that's, they haven't. That's
0: perfect, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah overcompensating over, yeah. for
1: things that they haven't forgiven themselves for not yeah. knowing. Even many ethnic minorities who are coming to discuss race many of them are learning about these issues for the first time themselves mm.
0: it's not and some... also expected to be an expert
1: right exactly well. yeah. um, and so Let's say, you know, for someone who has, uh, you know, you're black, you've lived in this country your whole life. You haven't necessarily always been attuned to race. You haven't necessarily known why you've made certain decisions, okay. why you have thought certain people were beautiful, why you've wanted your hairstyle in a certain way, why you have thought people of a certain complexion were more attractive. Mm. You then start to realize where all of these things are coming from. You're very angry. You're very okay. angry at yourself. You know what I mean? And maybe the way that people show, yeah, people are angry at themselves, but it comes out onto other people. You made me do this. You made me do this, blah, 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 blah. And so I think what what we're in at the moment, I kind of um, conceptualize it sometimes like um, the stages of grief. Um, yes. Many of us have come to, through the internet, realize the world is not what we thought. Um, and anytime there is a disruption to your framing, Um, Just like losing your religion, let's say, you know, you've been Christian all your life and then you start to lose your faith. You can't have any disruption like that without some grief. You know, Mm. you are grieving, literally, the old world that you used to know. Your idea of men, your idea of, it's huge. Yeah, Yeah. it's a major thing. And so in the seven stages of grief, I believe, you know, there's anger, there's depression, there's bargaining and all Mm. of these sorts of things. And I would say that we're in an an angry phase of that at the moment. Um, and, and some of us are at different stages. Um, but I think as you said earlier, uh, it's a it's a rite of passage, mm. you know, to go through this. Yeah. The problem is we're now doing this on the internet. And so some of these ideas There's collateral
0: are, damage yes, to people's lives. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but otherwise, you know, what we're going through right now is what people have always gone through, um, which is coming to realize the world is not what they think, getting quite extreme, um, and then realizing actually. I, am I much different to what I'm opposing mm. and then suddenly kind of evening out, you know, or trying to, you know, make being less self self-righteous, should I say? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think of overcompensation and the analogy of grief is a perfect explanation for this. I think collective grief is yes. a really interesting thing and I never thought about it in that way because what's happening is it's just like we're collectively uprooting All of this subconscious stuff, we're bringing it into the light and it's ugly and we're looking for someone to blame because that's Mm -hmm. such a comfortable place to be in. And yeah, I I think it's very easy to point fingers instead of looking inwards because what what has been exposed to us is ugly Mm. and we don't want to see it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot happening these days. The Anthrax Threat. Available now. In what ways do you think that wokeness and identity politics hinder our self-awareness? Because I think the assumption is that it helps us. That was for me initially. I was like, wow, I'm so much more self-aware and of the world around me and of myself and, and all of these structures. How do you think wokeness hinders self-awareness
1: well because i don't think it encourages people to be self-aware i think it encourages people to be socially aware it also hinders self-awareness because it very much encourages uh one to dwell in a place of victimhood and so i think there's a difference between being victimized and and victimhood and so victimized is something you know is out of our control any of us could have experienced it and many of us have experienced it however victimhood is how you respond to okay. that victimization, in my opinion, it encourages people who are, let's say, entrenched in this worldview, to take that on. Because if you don't take that on, then you're seen as someone with privilege, and anyone with privilege in this kind of worldview is inherently bad somehow. You know, we don't distinguish between privilege and achievement; it's just privilege. And anyway, the problem with victimhood is that you can't, you can't take responsibility. You can't truly look at yourself. I think this worldview creates boogeymen uh, out of certain groups, whether it be men, whether it be white people, whether it be the privileged of whatever kind, you're encouraged to look at those groups with with such a magnifying glass that no one ever really applies to themselves.
0: Yeah, it's a quick and easy way to feel like a good person. And I've taken a bit of a step back from talking about politics. I, Like I said, so many things happened to me online. And I think at one point I was kind of used as a really easy piñata for people to just bash on um, and call it activism. All of a sudden, the cool girl isn't someone who, who wears cool clothes. She's someone with cool opinions. Mm. I don't just need to look perfect. I need to have perfect opinions and so when that was happening I was almost this like the, just the perfect piñata because I was someone who cares and I think when people see someone who cares it's so easy to like point fingers at other people like you're saying about the stages of grief I think it was easy for people to point fingers and I became some kind of like collateral damage in a lot of people's grieving periods
1: mm. it really is you know whoever it's happening to it's such a shame i've had so many celebrities and reach out to me and people with influence and public people who are just kind of terrified by this moment or have been brandished as all these things by, you know, people who once were friends. And yeah, it, it's it's just really, it's really sad. I think, you know, it's, it's quite easy, I think, to kind of gloss over sometimes or even to think that this is just something that's happening online Uh, but it's not it really is you know truly affecting uh, people's lives and and people's mental states Um, and yeah equally I think I'm I'm a bit of the same I think I've I've recently stopped talking about this stuff as much but I also didn't want to feel as though this is now what I'm locked into having to say yeah. You know, that I can't talk about anything else before I became quite interested in everything happening in progressive culture and online activist culture. You know, I spoke about all kinds of things, you know, friendship, love, whatever I was observing. Mm. You know, I would talk about that. And then so many people started following me who might have just been there for my observations on woke culture. Mm. And anytime I wasn't giving that, you know, I would notice like uh, I would lose followers and things like that. And that was fine. But at the same time, I noticed and I realized then because I I felt something. I was Mm. like, oh, should I say something? Mm. You know, like, should I now kind of force something out of me about this? But I can't force anything out. If I force something out, it's. It's not real, for one. I will notice it regardless of other people. Mm -hmm. I won't feel good in myself. But in that moment of recognizing this inclination to feel like, should I keep these people here? Should I do this? You know, I realize what's happening to people. Mm -hmm. You know, I realize that, you know, this is what happens. People kind of, um, they're interested in something, you know doesn't mean they have to necessarily be intensely but they've made a comment on something it receives a lot of attention and then you feel that you have to keep doing be the
0: spokesperson for that thing yeah Yeah, uh, yeah, until
1: you're now someone that you never really intended to be Mm -hmm. and you know you're you're not necessarily qualified even to or have enough information to talk on all of these things but you know I never wanted to be controlled by my following and what they expect of me um, I see it as, you know, this is my house. I'm saying what I want to say. Yep. You guys turned up. I didn't ask you yes, to be here.
0: <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. I um, I left an abusive relationship a few years ago. Every time I go through something, I learn. I take the wisdom from it. I turn it into art to help other people. And that, for me, feels like a, a full circle moment yep. for me. Um, and I started talking about breakups on the internet. And this was about three years ago. And then I became known as, like, mm. the girl for breakups. Mm-hmm. And everyone was... And I just can't shake that off now. I don't want to talk about men. I don't (laughs) date men anymore. So it's like, yeah, I kind of took a backseat from talking about that kind of stuff because it became the thing that people came to me for, even if I didn't want to talk about it. So I totally understand the need to yeah, not be boxed in again by something that you spoke about for just a season in your life.
1: Exactly. And I think maybe one of the biggest challenges for us in this digital era is to resist what i often call like our zombification or our digital uh, the, the digitalization of our souls okay you know? and what i mean by that is you know where we're so kind of you know i know so many people who and, and maybe for good reason, but I think we can resist it, who feel that like they have to post every day, who feel like they must be seen with these people, mm. who feel like, you know, if they're not commenting on this or that, or if they haven't got this public opinion on this or that, then that's going to maybe block some opportunity or make them be seen as a bad person. And I again, I think this is kind of... Um, drawing us further away from our own humanity. Um and when we're drawn away from our own humanity, it's harder to see it in other people. Yeah. Uh which is why I think we have this era of uh, progressive cruelty. Um yeah
0: fuck <laughs> yeah.
1: and so yeah I, I think it's really important to yeah, I think one has to be very uh cautious with not just how they use the internet, but how the internet is using them. And they have to be very honest about that.
0: Mm. Mm. I think I saw something recently, some guy was explaining about how if you look at an ad or a billboard, it's not as harmful as looking at an ad on Instagram because the ad is looking back at you. Yes, exactly. And it's, I was like, oh my <laughs> yeah. God, that just gave me goosebumps when I right. heard it. And I was like, fuck, it's so true because it's analysing you. It's how long are you spending on that ad? Mm. It'll give you another one. If it's quick, then it'll give you like the opposite and it gives you content that it knows will fire you up Yes, exactly. Um, because it's going to keep you engaged and then that's how they make the money. Exactly. So yeah, I, I think it is really weird that... Um, the internet can use you as well. And we don't think of that because we're the ones who choose to pick it up. But are we really? Because it's an instinct now to just check your phone.
1: And then if you think about it, like, so you're following so many people who are, let's say, advocates for this or that issue. And because they have an audience that they want to keep satisfied or feed content to, they're only going to seek out this and that kind of information, Mm -hmm. you know? And so you, as the follower, you're getting, you're just kind of seeped in this world constantly where you're being fed um, just yeah a lot of stuff that's outraging. And it kind of distorts your view of the world and other people. um, And it's not quite like that, you know? Um, So yeah, I think it very much puts us all in a, a warped state of reality to some degree.
0: I was afraid of not being caught up on all, the, all of these world events because if I'm not angry, then I'm not paying attention. And that to me was frightening because that meant that I was like a bad person if I didn't know all the all the events that were going on in the world. And it's human beings are not meant to know the thousands of traumatic events that are going on around the planet. We're not supposed to be carrying around this this metaphorical baggage, like, lugging these suitcases around with us about all the different horrific, oppressive things that are happening in different countries. And yet, if you don't post about all of them on social media, you are, like, the worst person on the planet. It just just doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, so I think in that sense, you know, it's also no wonder that we've been described to be living in a a mental health uh, crisis, you know, because so much of uh, our progressive culture encourages... um, habits that I would say are completely corrosive to the mind Mm. like being perpetually angry like feeling that we have to kind of know about everything going on in the world at the
0: all the time
1: all these really sort of this you know black and white thinking all of these kind of lead to like a lot of mental unwellness and then the things that may lead to some mental stability true empathy not selective pity or selective sympathy for your group
0: Oh, wait say that again
1: so okay so real empathy not selective selective
0: pity, pity. yes okay. or
1: selective sympathy okay. for one group the word empathy is just to put yourself in, in someone else's shoes it doesn't say the shoes of the underprivileged or the shoes of this and that it's, anyone's shoes you know but like we only feel like we can do that to people who we perceive as having less than us or we perceive as maybe being less beloved than us and so we don't actually practice real empathy we practice often selective pity and selective sympathy at best and we don't encourage resilience because anyone who presents themselves I remember one time actually when someone did call me out Online, I can't remember what the tweet was. It was fairly innocuous, in my opinion. It was something like once you kind of let go of the fixation with desirability and much in your life changes, especially Mm -hmm. your outlook, even politically. Um, And it was up for a few days. And then maybe like four days later, this guy was just like, you're so privileged and overeducated and over this
0: <laughs> you know like um both things how dare that, you liberate yourself yes from wanting exactly to, yeah.
1: um <laughs> both things that i'm i'm not actually but even that it was it was funny that the implication is like to for, for me to be a, a a woman and and black and and saying these things and also with my sexuality that i the only way that i could have come to this is if i've you know had a, a silver spoon you know which is really condescending mm. um and potentially you know now, I don't throw around this word, but it's racialized because I don't know if people would assume I'm overeducated if I was, you know, uh, of a different race. But anyway, so I was saying something that was very much kind of to the idea of, you know, that we can actually, you know... uh, Change
0: our lives. We can, (laughs) right. And it was really... Being a bit positive. Right, right. And it was
1: really offensive to someone on the left. And I thought, wow, this is is bizarre. So yeah, in that sense, we very much do encourage the people that we want to help to stay mm. in this perpetual state of like misery, yeah. you know? And if you're not miserable, if you're not angry, then yeah, you're not paying attention and that you're all of these things. It's again, I find it very manipulative and uh, very inhumane. It's a very inhumane human rights project.
0: Okay, so I've actually got some questions okay, cool. from my audience to ask you now. Um, let's start with this one. I don't know how to let other people have opinions anymore. I find every errors in everything and I can't stop. How do I get myself out of this?
1: Um, by being more curious than critical. Ask them why. Okay. Ask them why they have these opinions. And I think once <laughs> you start to ask why um, and you start to build a picture, like learn to kind of be patient, I think, I think you'll then uh, realise that people aren't necessarily trying to be evil, Mm. Um, most people's opinions are formed by their own negative experiences, their own hurt, things that most people can relate to.
0: Um, Another question from someone from my uh, Instagram following, how do we decide what appropriate accountability is?
1: appropriate I mean, I I'd love to know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because, I feel the same. Yeah, 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 because sometimes I think accountability is is the progressive way of of, of bullying. Mm. You know, like we like the word accountability. I hate I hate it now. I hate the yeah,
0: word now. Yeah, yeah, but we don't like
1: responsibility. We okay. don't like the word responsibility very yeah. much. But we love the word accountability okay. because accountability is what we do to other people. Ah, responsibility okay. is what we have to take for ourselves. Mm. You know, and we don't like that. But but under. The social media law, accountability is used as a way to harass people Absolutely. very easily. Mm-hmm. But I think if we were to encourage, you know, personal responsibility, then we wouldn't feel like we have to make so many people accountable. Okay. You know, yeah. like So, yeah. <laughs> Even if someone yeah. does something that I think is terrible or awful, um, I just don't know if it's my business to make them know how kind of upset I am there's an entitlement I think you know there's a real entitlement that the internet gives us in feeling like it's our responsibility to make others accountable yeah. as if we you know we don't have a law and like a we're the system. police that we're right. trying to
0: also abolish exactly <laughs> yeah do you know what yeah. I mean
1: I just think you know like work culture is just being a snitch essentially in many right. ways like we're just snitching on each other constantly yeah.
0: I hate the phrase hold accountable now yes. because it's been so many it's been used so many times in contexts where it's just not even applicable and you don't even know that you've done something wrong and it's right. like what is also perceived as wrong. I went to a party recently where a guest was attending who the internet deemed problematic and I received hundreds of comments um, on a post of people telling me that I need to be accountable. And what does that mean? So, because the thing is... Exactly. So, what do you, do you want me to publicly also shame this person? Right. That's not happening. That's exactly. not happening. Do you want me to issue an apology for going to a party where I didn't know this person was attending? Didn't even see them at the party. Didn't even, what is, what What are we asking for and here? An apology is never enough. And never enough. <laughs> no, it, it would be like too little, too, too late. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> too late. Your silence on the matter for those 12 hours was violence. Right, and, right. And um, on, on to the next one. And then they, they'll, they'll find something new. And obviously I've, I've heard it described online um, as like the woke mob. Yes. Okay, so Aisha, just to round up the interview, I want to know how you managed to deal with social media. What are some boundaries that you have in place with your time spent on social media, even if that's just what you post and what you don't post?
1: I always have this thing in mind when it comes to social media, which is why I never allow myself to get drawn into any unnecessary conflict or argument. Um, I always say have something to share rather than something to prove. You know, and I feel like I would only get offended, let's say, if people don't like something what I say or feel like I have to say something back if someone disagrees, if I have something to prove. You know, I don't have anything to prove, I just have something to share. So that's one. I tried to keep that in mind You how know, I choose people to look at. So I would never just scroll my feed. I'm quite sensitive. I see it almost like I would never want to kind of like walk through like a hall of billboards, you wow, know, just like yeah. a row of them. And that's kind of what scrolling the feed feels like. So like if I you don't know
0: what's going to come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I
1: don't know how it's going to make me feel so. It was more like if I'm just interested, if I think to myself, oh, I I haven't seen what Florence has been doing for a while, I'll just Mm. check on you, yeah, you know, um, and I'll click your name in. I won't, I won't generally scroll, Um, and I use it often. Let's say Twitter in particular, I use it more as a search engine. So I might have a thought about something, and I want to see how many other people have thought this thing, yeah, yeah, you know. So I might just put in a key, a few keywords from my thought, Mm -hmm. you know, and just see what other people are saying.
0: But yeah, I just... Um, so you kind I of know, control what you consume. Yeah, I very really much control
1: yeah. what I consume and I, I often just post and leave. <laughs> I often think that's yeah, the healthiest yeah, yeah. way to use it. <laughs> just post and leave because once you kind of get stuck in the who's watching it who's looking at mm. it what are they saying it just takes a lot of time as well um and time is yeah i guess the most valuable resources i believe that we have we all think about our diets these days you know what we're eating and everyone's become super conscious and we very much must think about our media diet what we're mm. allowing our minds to see don't feed it just anything okay yeah don't feed your mind just anything you should be very selective about uh or at least very cautious about when and how and why you're doing it
0: Wow, that was incredible. I'm so glad that I got to have spoken to Aisha. I've wanted to interview her for so long. I took a lot from that conversation with her, especially what she was saying about being curious as opposed to being critical of people. What Aisha displays so wonderfully is how to have empathy with boundaries how to hold your own in a world that wants you to have the same opinions as everybody else or you might face being ostracized we need more people like Aisha who encourage us to think for ourselves and say what's on our mind so yeah please follow Aisha on social media Aisha Akambi on Instagram that's her handle I think she's a breath of fucking fresh air and I know that that saying is just so overused but that really, that's what it felt like sitting in the room with her today. Thank you so much to Aisha and to all of you for listening. Next week, I'm going to be talking all about social media and mental health with the founder of Half The Story, Larissa May. She has some incredible insight and wisdom to share on staying sane whilst navigating this wild world of distraction, misinformation, comparison and pressure on social media. It's a really important topic and it's something I cannot wait to get into with you. And a massive thank you to the fucking incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for my podcast. You can find them on Instagram at Black Honey UK and check out their latest album called Written and Directed. To keep yourself updated with all the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please take the time to rate us wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a review. It really does help people to find us and make sure that the people who need to hear these conversations do. This is a podcast from something else. My producer is Millie Charles. My assistant producer is Ella McLeod. Executive producer is Carly Mail. Production coordinator is Lily Hambly. And I wanna give a special thanks to our engineers, Jay Beale, Josh Gibbs, and mixing engineer, Gully Lawrence Tickle. An additional production from Chris Skinner and Teddy Riley.